Welcome back to Texas Sports Nation. I'm Jonathan Alexander here with Brooks Cabina. And we're here to talk about another uh, Texans loss. And I'm going to be honest with you, it was probably the most pathetic first half performance I've ever probably witnessed in a professional football game in my three years. Texans were down 30 to zero at halftime. You know, they were just dominated in every phase of the game. And, and to me, you know, that's a direct reflection on, on the coaching staff. That can't happen. You know, Levy tried to take the positives, but, you know, as Brandon Cook said, you know, post game, uh, there were no positives. You don't get blank 30 to zero and then expect to talk about the good. What were your, your general takeaway, Brooks? Yeah, this was the most embarrassing game for the Texans this year. Never more clearly are they the worst team in the NFL. And it recalled to mind for me, when the Rams came to town last year under a Texans team under David Cawley, who was a one-and-done coach, they went up 38 to nothing before the fourth quarter, and the Rams sat Matthew Stafford with a comfortable lead. And the Texans marched back 38-20 to and made it seem like there were some positives in that game when there were not. And uh, this was a lot of the same. And around that time was, again, when the direction of the franchise was under question under David Culley. And uh, this is a reasonable question now with Lovey Smith. They've been outscored 50 to nothing in the first half of the last two games. Um, whenever they lost to the Titans, another dismal performance this season, Lovey said that the Texans under his leadership just didn't play flat out good on any level that day. The Texans haven't led in a game since. So his... MO in press conferences has been to attempt to seize control of it and grasp onto positives. And it's a curious practice when you have other players like Kyle Allen, who comes in afterward and just owns up to how bad it is. No one going into this season expected the Texans to win. We've talked about this several times on this podcast, and both of us didn't pick them to have more than five wins. So the rhetoric, frankly, is confusing, and it continues to project that the uh, Lovey Smith and others don't know as much as they should when they do. And if they're continuing to uh, speak this way to players, and this is how they're communicating it top to bottom, that's a strange concept. So uh, it, we're, we're entering territory where the Texans you know, are, are probably going to be on their third coach in three seasons. And Kyle McNair is going to have a decision to make. Nick Casario convinced him over the offseason that it was worth $22 million to fire David Culley. We can get into this you know, more, but that's really the thing where this all begins is Casario f- believed that they were going to move on uh, from that situation and didn't really project much from that other than there were differences between him and Culley. Didn't really delve into it, but it signaled that they were ready to become more competitive. And a bungled coaching search that led to Josh McCown almost getting hired resulted in them promoting a guy that if they had continued with Cully and fired him mid-season, Lovey Smith would have been the interim coach and then you would be in a situation where Casario is not on his third coach in three years. It's a curious, curious year and it didn't have to be this complicated. I think the thing about it is, right, one way Lovey Smith could have helped himself was you know, continue to be competitive in some of these games. You know, they, they clearly don't have the talent as some of these teams. But when you're starting over and when you're looking at a new head coach and you're 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 trying to figure out if you're heading in the right direction, ultimately you look at, you see 
whether your team is competing in these games, whether they're keeping it close, even if they don't have it at the very end to stay with some of these teams. Are they fighting? Are they is it a close game? Are they nearing upset? But none of that has happened in recent games. They're they're actively getting worse each week. Offense can't get anything going. Um, they've been outscored 50 to zero in the past two first halves, which is terrible. It's embarrassing, highly embarrassing. And, and that is inexcusable in itself. The NFL is a league that is built where the talent gap isn't that, even though it may be far for some teams, you know, quarterbacks play a huge difference. It's not that far. You should be able to compete each week and you should be able to be be able to upset certain teams each week. And the Texans don't even look like they're capable of doing that. No. You know, the, the Dolphins in that first half, as much as Lovey wants to say they came back in that second half, the Dolphins were getting everything they wanted to. And the incomplete passes that Tua uh, had were bad throws by him, but he still had open uh, receivers each time. Yeah. It, it's just baffling because – the running game has running defense has gotten a little bit better, but they've been super inconsistent in other areas and offense is really, really weighing them down. I've mentioned this before, you know, when you go to the end of the season and you're doing your about Nick Serio and, and Cal McNair or whoever is making that decision is doing their evaluation. It's going to be hard to look at that fan base and tell them like, Hey, I have faith that we can bring Levy Smith back because he's heading us in the right direction right now. They're not in that right direction. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what needs to be done, but they need to be playing a lot better than they've they've played uh, specifically these last three weeks or so. Well, look, we could get bogged down into the statistics of this team, which we've done the last couple of weeks. But again, no one expected them to be winning. Uh, the two things Levy Smith had to do in this season was one, not be an embarrassment with the team being embarrassing and to show that they're developing the young players that are coming into the team. He's failed at both and it's separate from the football part of this, but the way he's carried himself the last couple of weeks has been unprofessional in front of the media. And that doesn't help his case either. Whenever the Texans repeatedly have been trying to distance themselves from being an embarrassment publicly. And it was notable that Cal McNair was in the interview room at the time uh, on Sunday when Lovey Smith was dictating who should have questions and um, rejecting premises that frankly were reality. Um, it was it, it was quite confusing that he was approaching and grasping so strenuously to find positives when the everybody could tell that the Dolphins sat to a I think it's interesting that he said what we have to do is find the positives that that means that that is the direct goal or one of the goals that the Texans are trying to do throughout this year uh, Nick Casario uh, through the CBS broadcast they were saying how he valued Lovey Smith as a steady voice in the locker room and that's part of what the Texans need to do when they know they're going to struggle. So they need to have someone who can steady the ship. But that's the same thing that Casario once valued in Cully, who was fired because they weren't getting things done on the field in a developmental style, or at the very least, weren't <laughs> seeming that they were professional just making decisions on the field. So it's the same trajectory, and it's leading toward a path where Casario is going to have to try and convince McNair to move on to another coach, which then calls into question Casario's ability to, to field a 
field and decide and run a coaching search. So uh, a lot of questions coming up for um, the Texans who um, have a lot of draft capital and free agency um, spending on the docket in the future, but it's going to be vital for them to be have faith in the coaching staff to continue to develop it. And so far, I mean, I asked Levy Smith to show what in the games shows that they would um, are making progress. And he pointed to points scored when Tua wasn't in the game. So all, all of that isn't suggesting very much improvement for the Texans right now. So you see parallels the end of David Cully to this. I do, in the sense that if if you're not having a, a consistent approach to the end of a season or showing that you can continue to develop uh, with the players that are there, that's the point of your one of the points, one of the major points of you being a coach there. And one of the parallels between this is the offensive staff. One of the things that was a problem with the Texans last year was that they couldn't move the ball offensively, which led to Tim Kelly being fired too. And by by promoting Lovey Smith, that led to Pep Hamilton being promoted. And Pep hasn't been good. So yeah, there are a lot of similarities between how these coaching staffs have handled the team and how they project faith that there's going to be improvement in the future. Yeah. I think a, a lot will come to light pretty soon here with the next few games. I mean, the schedule doesn't get much easier. The, the Browns haven't been a, a great team, but they're getting Deshaun Watson back. Right. Then you have, I know you have the Cowboys on the schedule. You have the Chiefs who may arguably be the best team, uh, you know, in the NFL right now. They also have division games against the Colts, the Titans who really dominated them earlier and the Jaguars who also seem to be uh, playing real well. And I think they have one more game against another talented opponent. So <laughs> you got six tough games left on your schedule. It could continue to go sideways or, you know, they could figure something out. But right now I don't see that path towards figuring something out. It's going it, it might be a long end to the season. You mentioned it. They have the number one overall pick right now with a t- bunch of tough games coming up. And the Browns, whenever Nick Casario traded Deshaun Watson to Cleveland, they have their first round picks for the next three years. They just spent one of them on Kenyon Green. They get two more. And how the Browns finish their season will dictate how high up the Texans are able to draft with that pick. So there is a lot of significance in just draft capital in the up- upcoming game. And Deshaun Watson is going to make his NFL debut after this suspension. Uh, the NFL decided to render him an 11-game suspension after a back-and-forth between them and the NFLPA. The NFL wanted a one-year suspension. The NFLPA fought to have as little as possible, and it wound up with Deshaun Watson making his debut in the city in which all of the allegations occurred and the long legal battle ensued. So this is a, a prominent week in terms of how the NFL has handled sexual assault cases um, how it's uh, handled in Texas law. And it, it's, it's going to project a lot of conversation um, around this that uh, will, will, will definitely be of note, um, even beyond just the football that's being played. Um, the Texans have been losing to better teams than the Browns this year. And uh, they have Nick Chubb, who is one of the top running backs in the league. And quite frankly, 
that's enough for the Browns to beat the Texans. And Watson could be rusty after a couple of years out of the game and them just rely on running the ball like a lot of other teams have to get this one done. I mean, when you look at this situation, Jonathan, how does this game play out? What are your thoughts on that? It, it might be tailor-made for, to go into the Browns' favor because, you know, when teams have good running game, running um, offenses, they've had success against the Texans. And, you know, this seems like the ideal game. You're integrating Deshaun Watson back in for the first time in well, more than a year and a half, right? More than a year and a half. So I think Lovey Smith drew some parallels to Kyle Allen there. You know, he's going to understandably be rusty. So they're going to try to run the probably try to run the ball, and they've got one of the best running offenses in the league. I don't I don't know where they rank currently, but Nick Chubb is the top three running back in my opinion, pound for pound. You got Kareem Hunt who can run the ball extremely well as well, who's going to be a top tier free agent. They got a double headed attack, so they really don't have to throw the ball. And if they do need to, they have a guy who can who has an arm. Texans fans have seen that. So I think this is a. a a, a good game for the Browns, but it's it's going to be most important game for the Texans. They have to win this game because of the implications that you mentioned before. The Texans have the Browns pick uh, for next year, and if the, and they need the Browns to win so they can keep that pick in the top ten. And and what I do know is the Texans will continue to lose, but if they can win this game, then they help themselves out with their pick as well as the Browns pick that they have. So this is a critical game, but I think. Right now, it's, it's set up in the Browns' favor just because of that run running game that the Browns have. And we know that even though the Texans have been much better in the past couple of weeks against their run, they're really susceptible to really good ground games. The Browns are sitting at 4-7 and seven right now. They can't really afford any more losses if they want to compete in the playoffs. And you look at the Browns, who have put a lot into trading for Deshaun Watson, not only the over $230 million that they have put into a contract for him. But uh, the owners, the Haslam family, has put the Browns into a position where they're highly criticized for their decision to trade for Watson. So you have a situation in Denver where the Broncos traded a lot of capital to get Russell Wilson, sans any court or legal matters, and they're under fire. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett is under question of whether he'll last beyond this season. So if this doesn't work out, you can maximize the criticism that the Broncos had and place it on the Browns who have been trying to compete for the last couple of years and have signaled to do that. So this is the beginning of what they took on as a very high risk. And uh, there's a lot of implications for the Browns to win this game on their end. And uh, the Texans uh, would be the Texans would want to win this game. And the Browns have the fourth best uh, rushing defense in the league. They average five point one yards per carry. So, but the Browns also their run defense has not been good this year. They rank in the bottom seven. Um, they've given up two hundred yards once before. The last three games they've given up over a hundred. Damian Pierce has been a non-factor in the last couple of games. Eight yards in one game. You know, against the commanders and then eight yards again on Sunday. Uh, it's it's not a case where the Texans are going to be able to move anything. Uh, they're, they're, that's what's been curious about this season so far is that they're very much limiting themselves, even with their limitations, by 
repeatedly going into every game just saying, this is what we're going to do. We're a running team. And once that gets taken away, there's no chance that they have to win, regardless of what quarterback's in. You wrote about that today uh, on my, in Monday's paper. So um, it's going to be very vital for them uh, to have Pierce back into it. Why do you think Pierce has been uh, removed as a, as a factor in these offensive games last couple of weeks? Pierce said it. Um, best, I think a lot of teams or recent teams are doing what uh, the Tennessee Titans uh, did, and they're stacking the box. They're putting an extra defender in the box to stop the run, uh, and they're daring the Texans to, to throw it past them, and they know the Texans can't do that. So they have the extra defender in the box, and, and the Texans' offensive line is struggling too. Love you mentioned it. Love you admitted it. They're they're losing one on one battles. They're getting dominated. You know, Kenyon rookie Kenyon Green, um, he he hasn't played well, and they've been switching him and him out with Justin McCray, who's also struggled this year when he's played. I think it's a it's a combination of teams figuring out how the Texans operate. They need to run the ball to be successful. And you put an extra defender in that they know they can't throw it. So you put an extra defender in the box to stop the run. And um, it's limiting their offensive attack. So, you know, plus the fact that the Texans offensive line, for some reason, is just struggling and, and is, has regressed. Um, it's a little bit all of the above right there. So they got to figure that out for sure. I think, you know, adding Eno Benjamin and adding another running back to the mix as as they seem to do a little bit with putting Dare in a little bit more, I, I think that can only help. I think Damian Pierce mentioned it too, having a one one two punch. Two guys who have different type of games also, so you don't really know what to expect. But having somebody fresh and keeping Damian Pierce fresh, I think can only help them. I don't think it's going to matter if Eno's in the game or not. It doesn't matter because if they can't run the ball, if they can't block, if there are no holes to be had, if Damian Pierce himself can't gain any yards, I don't have any confidence that Eno Benjamin will do it. The The thing that's really confusing is that if defenses are simply just placing one more defender in the box, then the offense should be able to recognize their own tendencies and counter to that. But what the Texans decided to do on Sunday so often was try and attack the, the sidelines. You saw a lot of screen attempts, wide receivers, running backs, short passes, something to get things out quick. That shows little confidence in the offensive line, but it also shows that there isn't much effort to try and get the receivers open downfield, and maybe they aren't able to do that. I mean, it's really curious, if that's the case, that Cooks and Collins aren't able to get separation from the rest of the cornerbacks, and we've seen them do it. Uh, Towards the end of the game, even in different spots in the first half, Cooks was able to gain separation, even though the Dolphins at that point were up 30 to nothing. So if you're looking for positives and if Lovey Smith believes that there are positives to draw from that, then that should be something that they focus to do. I mean, rewatching some of the game, you look at what the Dolphins were able to do playing off of the Texans tendencies. The Texans know that they're the worst run defense in the NFL. And you, there's a play that, Tua Tagovailoa fit a mid-range pass to Jalen Waddle over the middle, snuck it past Christian Kirksey in zone coverage, where they had an I-formation set up and nothing about the play post-snap signaled run at all. The offensive lineman stepped back, Tua dropped back, all the receivers went, but you saw the entire front, all the linebackers stepped forward, including Kirksey, who then got caught in the crossfire. Just by the just by knowing and using the Texans' insecurities, the Dolphins were able to find space within their coverage. That's just 
manipulating a defense based on their own insecurities and tendencies, which we haven't really seen Pep Hamilton do with the Texans this year. I mean, apart from the Jaguars game is the one time that I feel like we've seen that. They came out in their fullback packages, their eye formations, uh, their their double tight end formations, and they were making the Jaguars on their heels. And I know the Jaguars aren't the best team in the NFL either, but just finding something that the defense does poorly and trying to exploit that, we haven't seen that much. They they did it well against the Raiders. I thought that was their best offensive performance overall. Um, defense played bad that game, and Mills had a key, crucial turnover, but. You know, I thought in that game, too, I thought you saw Davis Mills take a lot more chances downfield, which is kind of a little bit of what you've been saying. They do need to take some more shots. <laughs> what do you have to lose at this point? You haven't even... Nothing. You have nothing to lose. You haven't even seen what Kyle Allen could do, so why not take that chance? Kyle Allen can throw the ball downfield. Kyle Allen's biggest issue is his turnover problems. He he takes a lot of chances um, and he is not as careful with the football. But I think at this point, you're a 1-9-1. One, one. You're not going to make the playoffs. You got to do everything you can to try to put yourself in a better position to win. And this conservative play calling that they've been implementing the entire year hasn't worked. So it, it, it's obviously time to try something different. Yeah, you were mentioning the comparisons to last year when Davis Mills came back after uh, Tyrod Taylor's second go. Um, he had a really good end to the season. I mean, he was a number eight in QBR in that stretch, and that gained him confidence going into the next year. But it wasn't enough to save Tim Kelly's job. So we're getting to the point in this season where if Casario and McNair don't know already what they have in their coaching staff and these players, I, I doubt the remaining six games will offer them much more to change their mind. So uh, – whether they make the decision in the middle of the season or at the end of it, it, it doesn't project well for the offensive staff. And uh, it might be that the Texans are searching for another head coach in the offseason. Thanks for listening to us as always. Uh, he's Brooks Cabina. I'm Jonathan Alexander. You're listening to Texas Sports Nation, Texas Sports Nation. And if you want to read more of our content, please go on HoustonChronicle.com slash sports. Thanks for listening as always. Until next week.